May our thoughts, words, and actions be holy and acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I am filled with gratitude this morning, especially when I look out and see all of your beloved faces. Grateful for the three years we have spent together. And what a crazy three years they've been. When we started in this place where we weren't together, I was really grateful we had Zoom because everybody's name was right to their face and I didn't have to remember names. But it's been a strange three years. And I am a better priest and a better person because of you and because of these past three years. I'm also deeply grateful for this opportunity to preach on my last Sunday, to open the scriptures one last time from this beautiful pulpit. In our gospel this morning, we find Jesus teaching, speaking to all of the people who were gathered around him. And it was a mix of people. There were normal, everyday people from Galilee, there were the disciples the religious elite, like the Pharisees or the Sadducees. There were people who were on a deep spiritual path, and perhaps people who just were walking by and saw a crowd and stopped deciding to listen to hear what was going on. I think we hear in Jesus' words this morning something we don't often hear. A lot of times we hear love and peace, but in this morning, I hear frustration in Jesus' voice. He's been criticized for whom he's associated with, a whole variety of sinners or those whom other people would call sinners. And Jesus uses the image of children playing two different games to express his frustration. Children playing a wedding and children playing a funeral. Now, this isn't something foreign to us. I imagine all of us at one point in our own childhoods played wedding, dressed up, you know, imitating what we saw adults do. I have memory of playing wedding, but I don't have any play funeral memories. Perhaps you do, but that was not in my childhood. But you can imagine children gathering together and they're beginning their joyful wedding play acting. They're playing flutes and other music. And I think what they're really trying to do is they're wanting to get the attention of the adults around, to get them involved. A sort of, you know, hey, look at me, Mom. I imagine those of you who have children have heard that many times. Hey, look at me. Look at what we're doing. And then there was no reaction, and no one joins in. So they switch tactics and take the opposite tone. They begin wailing and mourning and I imagine waving their hands around and yet people still don't join in. And this is what Jesus is saying it has been like for him. He explicates this image he just offered, saying, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. 
frustration. God has offered both extremes, and people still say, no, that's not what I want. John was too ascetic for them, and Jesus too embodied for them, and they didn't come to play in the sacred dance. I find it interesting that Jesus sort of frames this whole image in a critique of, contempt- of his contemporary generation. Because aren't we all like this? Feels too familiar to me. So many times we miss what's right in front of us because it's not what we expected or what we wanted. And how much more when it comes to our spirituality. We sort of expect God to act in a certain way within this box that we create. And when that doesn't happen as we wanted, we miss out. Because as the saying, it's not this or that. Jesus continues on with this image of children, praying and thanksgiving that the holy things he's talking about are hidden from the wise and intelligent revealed to the infants. This is a theme that Jesus has in the Gospel of Matthew. Later on, he expands on this, proclaiming, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's sort of this idea that something childlike is required for the spiritual journey. Maybe it's the enthusiasm, or faith, or imagination, or the willingness to see the world in all of its sacred beauty that is part of childhood. Maybe this is what Jesus is trying to get to. But honestly, I always have a difficult time with this passage. If the things of God are hidden from the intelligent and the wise, where does that leave us? I mean, we as clergy spend so much time studying and in the cultivation of intelligence and wisdom. We spent three years getting a Master's of Divinity. And to be honest with you, I found myself growing closer to God through my academic pursuits. But Jesus says this isn't what it's about. And what about our community here in Concord? We're a well-educated group of people full of intelligence and wisdom in every single place you look. So does that mean that Jesus' words aren't for us? That somehow the things of God are doomed to remain hidden from us and we can never attain them? I wonder if we're looking at applying these teachings to our lives. In that process of praxis, we can hear Jesus not speaking to different groups of people, but maybe we can hear Jesus speaking to different parts of us. Because we're all an amalgamation of disparate parts that come together and make up the person and make up who we are. We've all heard of the inner child, and perhaps we could extend that to think of the inner intellectual and the inner wise person. There are parts of us that use intellectual processes to understand what we're experiencing, and parts of us that use the heart to make sense. And 
There's sort of an inner historian that uses what we've experienced previously, and an inner protector that directs us away from anything that might be dangerous. We've been taught by our society that there's sort of a hierarchy of these things, a hierarchy of these ways of knowing and experiencing. There's, you know, intellectual pursuits and reason being at the top, and sort of emotion and instinct being somewhere near the bottom. Things that we would consider being evolved at the top, and things that we would consider being childlike at the bottom. And we tend to approach things first intellectually, trying to make sense, trying to figure it out, wrestling with it. We, we create philosophies and theologies, and these things aren't bad in and of itself. But I'm wondering if Jesus is encouraging a different way of being when it comes to being spiritual things, the way of the infant or the child. Let's consider the last part of our gospel lesson this morning. Jesus says, Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What happens to you when you hear these words? Where does your mind go? What processes kick in first? Let me read it one more time and pay attention to what's going on. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. For me, upon first hearing these words, I sort of have an overwhelming desire to run, to answer Jesus' call to come and maybe some sort of peace, and then my brain kicks in. Then the intelligence happens, or the intellect. I start to intellectualize most often in the form of questions. You know, what kind of rest is Jesus offering? You know, rest for how long? Will it last? Will it just be for a minute, and then I'll be left wanting more? What does taking on Jesus' yoke look like? Will I be limited? Will it change? Will it be more burdensome than what I know now? And what is this burden that's light? Maybe something like that happened for you, or perhaps the protecting part kicks in upon hearing these words, the part that is leery of promises that seem too good to be true, the part that stifles hope to prevent disappointment, the part that relies on cynicism to avoid over-excitement. But what about the child part? What if we listened with that voice? What if we gave that voice primacy? 
When I think of listening to the child voice, I just have this image in my head of running to Jesus, of running into the loving embrace of God and laying our burdens down, of being able to breathe once again, to stand upright, unfettered, of slipping on the easy yoke with gladness and gratitude. I think of children not worrying if their hands are perfectly clean or if they have prepared themselves sufficiently, but just coming just as they are, however they are. You know those words in the hymn just before the gospel, just as I am, thy love unknown has broken every barrier down. Now to be thine, yet thine alone, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. That's what I feel when I listen to the voice, the ears of the child. And perhaps this is why we must be as children to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not in the overwrought machinations of the intellect, nor in the protective mechanisms that seek to guard us, that we find God. Rather, it's in the childlike stance that inhabits the wondrous and the good and the holy that we encounter the divine. My dear friends, I believe what part of what Jesus is urging us to do this morning is to cultivate that place within ourselves, the innocent, childlike posture. To let this part of ourselves lead so that we can find the promised rest of Christ that we crave and so desperately need. To come with the faith of a child, a child who comes just as they are to gather around this table with uncompromised hope and the trust of an infant and fear. At the end of our running, we'll find a balm for our weary soul, a relief from the heavy weights that burden us, and a deep rest that is only found in love.